Shabbat Shalom. Bonjour, mesdames et messieurs, and saludos, hermanos. Feliz Sabado. Welcome to all our guests. We have 209 here today, so we're very thankful for the growth, as uh, Mr. League was mentioning and Dr. Meredith was mentioning. Uh, we'll look forward to our new building next week. God blessed our brethren attending the Feast of Tabernacles 2010. It was a joyous celebration. And, of course, we were learning at the feast and continue to learn to be kings and priests for tomorrow's world. Our Charlotte ambassadors were all over the country and over the world and various international locations. In fact, we're going to have a feast review a week from tomorrow right here in this hall. Well, God has called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So it's important that each of us is able to represent the kingdom of God and God's way of life effectively. Well, how successful are you in representing true Christianity? Are you an effective servant and an ambassador for Christ? Is there a way you can develop your character and personality to reflect and radiate God's love and joy and peace? Some of you have heard the story before of the people in the mental institution. They were talking and trying to figure out why they were there. And they said, well, why are we here? And finally someone came the profound answer, we are here because we are not all there. Some of us are not all there either. Some of us may not feel well physically. Uh, some of us may not feel that we're all there spiritually. In John, the seventh chapter, if you'll turn there, Jesus was at Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. He was accused of breaking the law by healing a man on the Sabbath. John, the seventh chapter, and verse 21. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Verse 23, John 7. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In the King James Version, it says, Are you angry at me because I made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Christ healed this man completely. The man was physically whole. There are more examples of healing. Let's turn to Acts, the uh, fourth chapter. Acts 4. And the King James says, I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. Acts, the fourth chapter, we realize that the apostles after Pentecost were out healing. And uh, Acts, the fourth chapter, starting with uh, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we be this day our judge for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, the King James says, made whole, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. There are several other examples. I won't turn there, but Acts 9 and uh, verse 34, Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Are you whole? Are you complete? Can we be not only physically whole and complete, but can we be made spiritually whole? Let me ask another question. Are you a complete person? Do you have it all together? Are you spiritually mature? Have you grown in spiritual character to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth? Well, how can we be made spiritually whole? How can we be made spiritually complete? Let's turn to Colossians, the second chapter, and this is really the key verse of the sermon, and I'll repeat it at the end of the sermon. Colossians 2, starting with verse 6, and I've mentioned to you before how this is one of my favorite verse of many hundreds of favorite verses. Colossians 2, starting with verse 6. Colossians 2 and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Again, this is a daily relationship. It's something that Dr. Meredith has emphasized for decades, that we need to emphasize the name of Jesus Christ and to have that personal, intimate relationship with our living Savior. Because he's coming back to this earth soon, and those who are ready will meet him in the air and be transformed from mortal to immortal. So walk in him, verse 7, rooted and built up in him. So we're rooted and built up in him by daily growing spiritually and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And again, there are keys here to our spiritual abundant life, and that is by being thankful, expressing that thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Christ is all power. He sustains the universe with the word of his power. That's how powerfully he is, how powerful he is. And if he's in us, we have power. Notice verse 10. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. How can you be spiritually made whole and complete? By your spiritual relationship with your Savior and mine. You abide in him. Galatians 2.20, of which you know, Christ lives in us. So you can overcome your feelings of immaturity, your feelings of discouragement, your feeling of not being all there, your feeling of being incomplete, we have this wonderful promise that you are complete in him. And that's the key of the sermon today. Remember this promise that you are complete in Christ. So today we need to ask ourselves, <clears throat> what is missing in my character and in my nature? And what remains to be developed and perfected. Do you have godly patience? Do you have godly wisdom? Do you have spiritual maturity? What do you need to overcome in your life? 
And we know that we are on a dedicated mission to overcome Satan, society, and ourselves. But more specifically, what must you overcome? Are you missing or weak in one of the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace? Of course, he says, against such there is no law in Galatians 5 and verse 22 and 23. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 13, 7. And again, the Apostle Paul gave this exhortation to the Corinthians to be complete. That is, to be mature, to be fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 13. Verse 7. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but yet you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Of course, he's defending his authority as an apostle. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this we pray that you may be made complete. So do we need to pray for one another that we can be mature spiritually, that we can have it all together, that we are complete and whole spiritually? Look at verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete. Again, he repeats the exhortation. Be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Sir appreciated that in Chiguanas and Trinidad when uh, my wife and I came in the hall and all these beautiful young uh, ladies uh, kissed us on the cheek as we came in. Uh, that's one place at least that we have a, a good tradition. Well, we have good traditions all over the place, but that's one, one special one that uh, we appreciated. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So he tells us to become complete. Again, are you a complete person? Do you have it all together? We need to develop all these dimensions of life and character, personality and skills to be complete and to be whole. God can make us whole and complete spiritually and physically. The title of the sermon today is, Are You Complete? Or you can give it a sub-alternative title, What's Missing? So in today's sermon, we'll take a look at several dimensions of our life that can help, be more, help us be more effective as servants of Christ and as lights in the world. We can all grow and change and develop, and, but sometimes in striving to overcome, we hit barriers. It just seems that we can't overcome. We've got a habit or a problem that just, um, just uh, persecutes us or bothers us, and we can't get beyond that barrier. And I pray daily that God will grant us successes, achievements, accomplishments, overcomings, victories, and triumphs in Christ. Dr. Pierre mentioned some of the promises by which we can be courageous and how we can go forward in faith. Let's look at one of those in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. Again, one of those verses I've tried to memorize personally and meditate on and pray about. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 
very strong promise here. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We need to be conquerors. We need to be victorious. We need to overcome. And God promises that we can triumph in Christ. And through us, the ministry diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. We are witnessing to the world. And, of course, each of us as Christians have to be witnesses to the world. So we thank God for that promise that he leads us in triumphs in Christ. So I add to that successes. I pray for breakthroughs where I may not be growing and just I'm stilted or, or halted in some area that I can make a breakthrough. So we pray for dramatic changes. You just don't limit God. Some time ago, I was uh, talking to a man who said, in effect, that he was too weak to put into practice the exhortations of the ministry because we exhort you to do this, to overcome. We exhort you to pray. We exhort you to read your Bible. And this man was giving the excuse that he was too weak. And really, that attitude can be an excuse. Would such a person say, I'm too weak to obey God? What kind of answer would Christ give? He said, oh, you of little faith. So we have to decide to respond to God and to his exhortation. It's a frightening attitude to think of someone saying, I'm too weak to obey God. Jesus indicted those with very little faith. That kind of person would really not have been conquered by God. Uh, that kind of person is not really truly repented. That kind of person has not exercised faith. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, Repent and believe in the gospel. So if you need to help to repent, and some of you are just stuck in your spiritual life, you're not growing, you're frustrated, you feel incomplete, uh, you need to perhaps read, hear the sermon number 577, Fasting and Repentance. And remember, we have a wonderful booklet for those of you who are interested in thinking about baptism, should you be baptized. So if you're considering baptism, be sure to read that booklet thoroughly and study it, should you be baptized. But if we believe God's promises, if we trust in Him, as we heard in the sermonette, uh, he gives us strength and he gives us faith. If uh, you missed the last two sermons here in Charlotte, uh, be sure to listen to them. Dr. Meredith's sermon two weeks ago, uh, Cry Out for Healing. And Dr. Douglas Winnale's sermon last week, Building Stronger Faith. So if you're spiritually weak, you need to use the spiritual tools Dr. Meredith wrote about or spoke about in his sermon. And, of course, there are many sermons, many scriptures we heard in the sermonette, Isaiah 41.10, where God promises, I will strengthen you. So if you are spiritually weak, admit it. And admit you lack faith. And admit that you need to strengthen your faith. And uh, read these scriptures, Isaiah 41.10, I will strengthen you. And you don't want to be a weak-willed person like Esau, who sold his birthright for just one morsel of food. We have to step out in faith. The Apostle Paul was told by Christ in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said to me, after Paul was asking to get the thorn of flesh removed from him, 
the, the answer came back, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, we are physically limited. We can't do spiritual victories or spiritual accomplishments apart from the power of God's Holy Spirit. So if you're weak, read the faith chapter, Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In verse 34, for example, it says, Those men and women of, of faith out of weakness were made strong. Pray that you can be stronger spiritually. Remember that God is for us. It says in Romans 8 and verse 35 or 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? <clears throat> we know in 2 Peter 3 verse 18 that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. But what is your attitude? You know, you cannot change circumstances. Bad things happen to good people. Uh, James told us that we fall among various trials and tribulations. Uh, my wife gave me an anniversary great, uh, gift. It's uh, framed in my office. It's a statement on attitude. It's called The Power of Attitude. I'll quote from it. Our lives are not determined by what happens to us, but how we react to what happens. Not by what life brings to us, but by the attitude we bring to life. A positive attitude causes a chain reaction of positive thoughts, events, and outcomes. It is a catalyst, a spark that creates extraordinary results. And of course, Mr. Partian has exemplified that in his life when he thinks about Philippians 4, verse 8, and he's quoted to us many times. Well, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are honest, pure, lovely, of a good report, there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And Mr. Partian has set us a good example with that positive attitude. And you can also listen to sermon number 586, What is Your Attitude? So God wants us to grow in spiritual, spiritual character, and He gives power to the weak so that they can become strong. He gives power to the weak so they can overcome. He gives power to the weak so they can develop and grow spiritually and in the faith of Christ. He's called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So for the remainder of this sermon, let's look at four dimensions that can help us become complete, whole, and effective. Number one is to develop your mind. I won't turn there, I'll just quote it, Mark 12 and verse 30. And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. <clears throat> you can review the sermon, Love God with All Your Mind, uh, sermon number 540. But God has given us this precious gift of mind power. Animals don't have that gift. God has combined the human spirit with the brain to give us that human mind. And again, even the great psychologists and brain researchers, many of them don't really understand how long-term memories are stored. They don't understand the, the mystery of the mind. 
We have an article in that, of that in our current Tomorrow's World magazine <clears throat> on the mystery of the mind. But you need to develop your mind. The second law of success is what? How many of you know what the second law of success is? Okay, five tentative hands. All right, <laughs> a little more than that. Preparation and education. You have a goal, but to reach that goal, you need to prepare. You need the principles, the knowledge, the education in order to achieve that goal. God is the great educator. Christ is the great teacher. Now, recent studies have shown that elderly people who keep their minds active are far less vulnerable to Alzheimer's disease. And they may be active just uh, playing uh, card games or uh, reading or other times of mental activities. Uh, even using computers for elderly people will help prevent uh, Alzheimer's, which is uh, a challenge for some. But more than 100 subscribers who completed tomorrow's World Bible Study course are taking advantage of Dr. Meredith's Living University course, Life, Ministry, and Teachings of Jesus. It takes courage. Uh, many are not taking that LU course, Dr. Meredith's course for credit, uh, but they're auditing it, so they're not required to take a test. So some of you might uh, feel that's the easy way to take Dr. Meredith's course. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they have the courage to go ahead and, and <clears throat> take that course. Um, you may know, of course, that those of you who have completed the 24-lesson Tomorrow's World Bible Study course can take one course, one semester of Dr. Meredith's course, free of charge. I met one man in Trinidad who wanted to do that, and he said, I am motivated to finish the 24-lesson Bible study course so I can take Dr. Meredith's uh, course free of charge. So, again, that's available for those of you who have the courage to continue to grow in spiritual maturity and spiritual knowledge. And, of course, we want to educate ourselves in many other ways. My wife has taken several general education classes uh, here in this area, we have the uh, Central Piedmont Community College, and they have general education classes. <clears throat> One time in Big Sandy, we had a general ed education class, and it was for the ladies' introduction to auto mechanics. Uh, my wife uh, took that two-hour class, and it consisted of going to the maintenance shop. We had an auto maintenance shop on the Big Sandy campus, and the mechanic put the car up on the uh, rack so the ladies could look underneath and said, now that is the transmission. These are the four wheels. And then you bring it down and open the hood, and here is uh, the engine and so forth. Now, we can, I think my wife learned a little bit from that course, but we, can, we should never stop learning. Uh, there's new technology. There are two cell phones, laptops, iPods, iPhones. Uh, we had a problem in my home of uh, the microwave oven. It was just locked. It was beeping, and I couldn't figure out what happened. I went on the Internet and looked up for microwave locked and Googled it. And it said what you need to do is that it's a child lock. You have to hold the cancel button. Little children, don't listen to this now. You... <laughs> You have to hold the cancel button for three seconds, and that will unlock the microwave. Knowledge is power. I didn't know what, I thought 
Someone told us, oh, well, you've got to microwave seven, seven years, you need to throw it away. It's too old. No, it, well, that wasn't the problem. It was just the knowledge of how to unlock uh, the locked uh, uh, microwave. So God tells us to seek knowledge and wisdom as treasure. Let's turn to Proverbs, the second chapter. You're familiar with that. As uh, Dr. Pierre said in the sermonette, we need to read Proverbs and Psalms regularly. Proverbs, the second chapter. <clears throat> my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. You know, uh, silver has gone up in the commodity market. It was down to about $2 an ounce uh, some years ago, and recently it was up to $21 an ounce. So silver uh, as, is a precious commodity. Seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom for, uh, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk diligently. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. So we need to seek knowledge, cry out for her, and seek it as for hid treasure. Proverbs 14 and verse 6. Proverbs 14 and verse 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. Of course, we know Psalm 111, verse 10, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. I remember many years ago, back in Big Sandy, one minister who defected was questioning Mr. Armstrong's comments and study on the human spirit, the spirit in man. He said, where did he get all this? And he was questioning it. For the rest of us, it was very easy to understand. Second, uh, First Corinthians, the second chapter, where he talks about there is a spirit in man, and that animals cannot understand the things of a man, only the spirit of the man that is in him. It was easy to understand. Knowledge is easy to him who has understanding. If we're fearing God, we're seeking the truth, we're seeking understanding, knowledge is easy. God has called us to be kings and priests, and we will revolutionize the educational system in tomorrow's world. Mr. Herbert Armstrong gave three mandates. Learn to teach was one of them. Simplify your life and come out of the world were the three mandates he gave. By the way, Dr. Douglas Winnale gave a sermon here, number 570, Education in God's Plan. So are you developing your mind? Of course, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2.5, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That's the mind of spiritual service. We need spiritual mindedness. But are you letting your mind go to sleep? Or, uh, I'm not referring to anyone sleeping here right at the moment. But uh, are you letting your mind go to sleep, or are you challenging your mind? A continuing education class will help. We are to need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So the first dimension...
to help you become complete, whole, and effective is, number one, develop your mind. Number two is to develop your personality. Did Jesus use his personality to influence people? I read to you before from Bruce Barton's book, The Man Nobody Knows. Remember that his concept of Jesus was, well, he's a, a skinny weakling. But then when he began to read the, the biographies about Jesus, he had a total change. So he wrote in his book, The Man Nobody Knows, quote, Jesus pushed a plane and swung an ads. He was a successful carpenter. He slept outdoors and spent his days walking around his favorite lake. His muscles were so strong that when he drove the money changers out, nobody dared to oppose him. A killjoy? He was the most popular dinner guest in Jerusalem. The criticism which people made was that he spent too much time with publicans and sinners and enjoyed society too much. They called him a wine-bibber and a gluttonous man. When the man finished reading, he exclaimed, This is a man nobody knows. Let's turn to Philippians, the second chapter. As Jesus was an all-around, full, complete, godly person, he was God in the flesh, but he exemplified character and he exemplified personality. Philippians, the second chapter, <clears throat> verse 1. Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You have an outgoing concern, a personality that shows love, that shows affection, that shows mutual uh, respect uh, towards others. Then, of course, verse 5, which I've quoted already, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that attitude of service. Then again, you can uh, hear that sermon, number 564, responsiveness and service. What is the definition of a personality? The quality or fact of being a particular person, personal identity, individuality. Habitual patterns or qualities of behavior of any individual as expressed by physical and mental activities and attitudes. Distinctive individual qualities as a person considered collectively. A more technical definition by Allport is personality is the dynamic organization within the individual of those psychophysical systems that determine his unique adjustments to his environment. Dr. Meredith has written on personality, and in the uh, Good News magazine of May-June 1990 uh, was the article, Build the Personality of a King. Uh, Dr. Meredith and uh, his colleague were on a long uh, baptizing tour. They had finally finished the baptizing tour. They were exhausted. They were tired. They're looking forward to just taking a leisurely drive back to headquarters in Pasadena. But then they got word that the boss, Mr. Armstrong, told them to come back immediately. Mr. Meredith writes, 
As we groggily rolled over plain and de uh, desert, I began to feel more and more sorry for myself. Doesn't he know how tired we are? I muttered to myself. Can't he realize that an extra day wouldn't make all that much difference? Besides, we're so tired, we might get in a wreck and be killed. We stalked into the building to check in and find out when and where the meeting was to be held this afternoon. I walked a little stiffly with a set jaw and a chip on my shoulder. They said the boss was coming, so we waited for a few minutes in the hallway. Soon we heard him coming around the corner. The boss appears. Hi, fellows, the familiar voice boomed with resounding warmth and enthusiasm. Boy, it's good to see you guys here. He gripped my hand warmly and put another friendly hand on my shoulder. I know you're tired, but you look great. This meeting would just not have been the same without you fellows being here. Say, I really appreciate your driving straight through to get here in time. I think I'll line up a long weekend recuperation period over a very special resort I know about as soon as this meeting is over. It'll all be on me. How about it? <laughs> oh, that's all right, sir. <laughs> I found myself saying, it wasn't so bad a trip, and we're sure glad to be back here on the job again. <laughs> So Dr. Meredith writes, the warmth in his voice and his smile, the sincere love and concern in his eyes and manner, it melted me like butter under a tropical sun. What changed my attitude so dramatically, so suddenly, it was simply the force of a sincere, dynamic, and personal, and a powerful personality. It was the boss's personality. And as I realized more with each passing year, that personality was at least one of the important reasons why he became the boss over a large and growing organization. Now, what about you? Do you know the keys or the building blocks so that you can build this kind of personality? And he gives five keys, different areas of developing a personality. And, of course, that's the one of the goals and purposes of the Ambassador Spokesman Club of Develop whole personality. First, these clubs are designed to contribute to the development of the whole personality. And then, uh, so let me just share a couple other uh, aspects of that uh, area of personality. And that is that uh, Dr. Meredith had these five areas. Sense of humor. You don't need to write these down necessarily. Care and compassion. Outgoing love and concern acts of kindness and service, courtesy and respect. And, of course, how may I help you as part of the uh, information that we want to be able to, to share. So, again, uh, we need to develop our whole personality. Um, Ambassador College was criticized. Uh, the students were criticized. And so, well, they're all a bunch of yellow pencils. You know, they're all the same. Well, of course, they weren't all the same. They had the same godly character. And are we all yellow pencils? We all need to develop godly character. That's fundamental for all of us. It's a purpose of life. That God is creating in us his perfect, righteous, godly character. But you express the love of God. You express joy. You express peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, and faith by your own personality. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. We all have different emotional 
uh, mindsets, and so we express it in different ways. Turn to Proverbs 16 and verse 21. Proverbs 16, 21. <clears throat> Again, we communicate. Uh, some of us are able to smile <clears throat> a lot. Some, some of us have problems smiling. I might just mention from uh, Dale Carnegie's book on uh, the importance of smiling, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, he writes on page 63, <clears throat> At a dinner party in New York, one of the guests, a woman who had inherited money, was eager to make a pleasing impression on everyone. She had squandered a modest fortune on sables, diamonds, and pearls, but she hadn't done anything whatever about her face. It radiated sourness and selfishness. She didn't realize what everyone knows, namely that the expression one wears on one's face is far more important than the clothes one wears on one's back. Charles Schwab told me his smile had been worth a million dollars. He was probably understating the truth. One of the most delightful factors in his personality was a captivating smile. Actions speak louder than words, and a smile says, I like you, you make me happy, I am glad to see you. And how many times was it when I was a freshman at Ambassador College and walking across the campus and feeling kind of down, and here's this beautiful little co-ed with a beautiful smile. Hi, Dick, how are you today? You know, it really buoys up your spirit when you're down. A smile can make a big difference. Here in Proverbs 16, and so our speech makes a difference as well. Proverbs 16, verse 21. The wise in heart will be called prudent. And the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Or as the Moffat translation says, a wise man is, is esteemed for being pleasant. His friendly words add to his influence. Verse 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Um, Moffat has kindly words are like a honeycomb, both sweet and healthful. So we need to radiate Love, joy, peace. When Jesus said in John 7, He that believes on me out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. We need to radiate the fruits of God's Spirit of love, joy, and peace and do it through our personality to have that warmth and that affection. So, number two, to grow as an effective, complete servant of Christ, develop your personality. Number three is to use your time wisely. Mr. David Wakefield gave a sermon at here in Charlotte some weeks ago, and he said, supposing you were given $86,400 every day, and you had to spend it every day, but the next day you'd get another $86,000, $86,400. Well, it was a, an analogy to seconds in a day. There are 86,400 seconds in a day. How are you using that time? Ephesians 5, verse 15. You turn there. I think you're very familiar with this. We've had <clears throat> sermons on this. Ephesians 5 and verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So are you really using the time or wasting the time? I told you some time ago where I would come back from the YMCA after exercising and just kind of plunk down in front of the television set, kind of relax, but I changed that pattern and instead sat down in the lounge chair next to the fireplace and uh, would just read the, the chapter of Proverbs. My wife would come over and sit on my lap. So it's you can redeem the time, make it more valuable, uh, not just by watching television, which I do, of course, to, to get news and watch uh, some of the History Channel or uh, National Geographic, uh, some very interesting uh, programs. Not as interesting as tomorrow's world television program, by the way. <clears throat> but nonetheless, very interesting. So use your time wisely. And again, uh, Joseph D. Cooper in his book, How to Get More Done in Less Time, uh, 1962, uh, wrote in the preface, The indirect origins of this book go back to early years. When I first heard this famous saying, that if you wanted to get a task done, you should ask the busiest man to do it. It was then that I noted that those who turned out the least work were usually the ones who seemed to have the least time. And I've experienced that too. You realize someone who is a, a busy person, who's alert and who's active and who's doing things decently in order, can be efficient and accomplish quite a bit. In chapter 1, what is a minute worth... He writes, at age nine, John Quincy Adams wrote to his father. Now, John Quincy Adams became the sixth president of the United States. And at age nine, John Quincy Adams wrote, My thoughts are running after birds' eggs, play and trifles, till I get vexed with myself. Mama has a troublesome task to keep me studying. I own I am ashamed of myself. I had just entered the third volume of Rollins' History. I'm ashamed of myself. I just haven't finished Rollins' th third volume of Rollins' history yet. I am determined this week to be more diligent. I have set myself a stint to re read the third volume half out. I wish, sir, you would give me in writing some instructions with regard to the use of my time and advise me how to proportion my studies and play, and I will keep them by me and endeavor to follow them. What an incredible attitude a nine-year-old is asking his father, who happened to be the second president of the United States, John Adams, how can I effectively use my time? An amazing attitude for a nine-year-old. Uh, I won't ask nine-year-olds to raise your hands here, but we've had a couple sermons, uh, number 322, uh, Redeeming the Time by Dr. Douglas Winnale, and number 561 by Bruce Tyler, uh, again, um, Redeeming the Time. We need to develop the whole person. Uh, you know the end of the story, but turn there back to Ecclesiastes, uh, the 12th chapter. Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. You know, you, there's a saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, we know that's not true. Uh, we're not all old dogs. We may be uh, senior citizens, uh, but we still learn. And uh, I still have an interest in chess. I still play uh, con you know, computer chess. I have an interest in photography. I have an interest in poetry. 
And I hope that all of you broaden your horizons to become a whole person, a personality that is more effective as an ambassador for Christ. Remember that Solomon had experimented with everything, with wine, women, and song, even with building projects, agricultural projects. And yet he experimented his whole life and came to the conclusion, Ecclesiastes 12:13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Or another translation, this is the whole duty of man, to keep and fear God and keep his commandments. So we need to develop the whole person. And I hope that you're developing yourself and having a broad range of interests and that you are educating yourself. I like to be somewhat creative. I actually did some oil paintings as an 11-year-old. My grandfather uh, taught me uh, how to do some oil painting. And uh, I have it buried in a box somewhere. I hope I can find it someday. But uh, I like to write poetry on occasion. And I'll just share one of my poems with you that I actually composed uh, when I was a senior in high school in Meriden, Connecticut. Above the uh, city, there's a, a hill. And in Meriden, Connecticut, there were industrials, uh, smokestacks. And the day that I was up on top of this hill overlooking the city, uh, the smoke was coming up and causing clouds and causing sun rays to come through. You've seen those kind of sun rays that come through clouds. Well, with that circumstance, if I can remember the poem. Here on, the, here on the mountain, my eyes scan the city. To the south, to the west, with factories so busy, the smoke rises high to the clouds where it lingers, creating soft sun rays as if God's own fingers we're reaching for people to hear him say, Come to the mountain and relax for a day. For high on this mountain, as if on God's hand, he will enter your heart as you look on his land. Now that was only, what, uh, 55 years ago or so, something like that. But nonetheless, I still like to uh, write poetry. And I hope that all of us can develop the personalities to redeem the time and to become more effective servants of Christ. We need to redeem the time and be more productive in Christ's service. Uh, remember the sermon, Are You a Faithful Steward? Number 518. We need to identify our responsibilities and fulfill them. Let's turn to Revelation 22. <clears throat> Revelation 22 and uh, verse 12. Christ is going to reward those who are faithful in their responsibilities. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. Revelation 22:12. To give everyone according to his work. So God gives us the gift of salvation, but he expects us to produce, to bear fruit. Remember Jesus said in John 15:8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So God wants us to be active. We need to redeem the time and be productive in Christ's service. We've briefly discussed three dimensions for growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. One, develop your mind. Two, develop your personality. Three, redeem the time. Number four is develop your character. Let's turn to Psalm 51. 
develop your character. I've already commented again that this is what Christ is doing with us, what God the Father is doing in us, creating in us his perfect, righteous, godly, holy character. Remember, Peter told us in 1 Peter, Be you holy, for I am holy. And David cried out to God, Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God is the great creator, and he's creating in us perfect, righteous character. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in that classic description of holy character, The Mystery of the Ages, page 69 and 70. He wrote, Perfect, holy, righteous character is the ability in such separate entity to come to discern the true and right way from the false, to make voluntarily a full and unconditional surrender to God and His perfect way, to yield to be conquered by God, to determine even against temptation or self-desire, to live and do right. And even then, such holy character is the gift of God. It comes by yielding to God to instill His law, God's right way of life, within the entity who so decides and wills. Again, God has given us free moral agency, and He expects us to will to do what is right. Continuing, Mr. Armstrong writes, Actually, this perfect character comes only from God, as instilled within the entity of His creation upon voluntary acquiescence, even after severe trial and test. I have devoted a few paragraphs to this point because it is the supreme pinnacle means in God's overall purpose. And all of us have gone through that process where we've been challenged, we've been tempted, we need to do what is right. And I've distilled what Mr. Armstrong has written here into four basic steps of godly character. One is the willingness and ability to understand right from wrong. Most of today's world doesn't care what's right and wrong, other than those who are their peer groups who say it's all right to do drugs, it's all right to have uh, lascivious sex. You know, that is their standard of righteousness, which is not righteousness, but is wickedness and evil and sin. But number one is the willingness and ability to understand right from wrong. Number two is the commitment to choose to do what is right. And many of us have met that challenge about keeping the Sabbath, losing our jobs. If we're going to keep the Sabbath, we know that it's right. But we have to make a commitment. You make the commitment, I am going to keep the Sabbath, even if it means losing my job. Number three, resist all temptations to compromise. And so your boss says, oh, well, all you need to do is work a half an hour on the Sabbath, you know, and keep your job. So you're tempted, but you've got to resist those temptations. And number four is practicing righteous living until it becomes habit and becomes internalized. So we begin to practice godly character. We overcome daily with a spirit sword that is with the word of God. And we need to overcome Satan, self, and society, which, of course, the Days of Unleavened Bread teach us. Uh, Dr. Meredith's sermon, number 595, 
overcome Satan. Now let's turn there to 1 John 2 and verse 14, because again, it's one of those promises that uh, Dr. Pierre mentioned in God's Word. He's given us so many promises. Uh, 1 John 2, that we can overcome. We are physically weak, but God has given us spiritual power. You know, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6. God has not given us the spirit of fear, as verse 7, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First uh, John 2 and verse 14. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. You say, well, I'm just so physically, you know, I'm weak. I can't, can't obey God. I'm weak. No. Because you are strong. Why? Because the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. We can overcome. We can be victorious because we have the power of Christ in us. There are other areas of, of life in which we can develop character, and sometimes it takes a lot of courage to do that. For young people, teenagers, uh, I would want, recommend one book that would be very helpful. It's called I Dare You by William Danforth. He was the um, founder of Ralston Purina Company. And he has all these sections. I dare you to adventure. I dare you to do things. Rod McNair has written the article, Do Hard Things, which was a cover article on our Tomorrow's World magazine. Are you willing to try to do hard things? I dare you to be strong. I dare you to think creatively. I dare you to develop a magnetic personality. I dare you to build character. I dare you to share. So I'd encourage you to give this book to a younger teenager. It's inspiring and it's motivating. When we look at the Bible, we realize that those who were weak became strong. We realize that there are people in the Bible who are just as human, just as fallible as you and I, and yet they made dramatic changes in their life. We'll take a look at one of them or two of them here in Stephen uh, Acts 7, verse 60. You know that story. And here... Stephen had boldly witnessed against the Sanhedrin in Acts, the seventh chapter. And for some reason, all of a sudden, instead of continuing the narrative history of Israel, he begins to indict them, Acts 7. And so they take him out, accuse him of blasphemy, and they are going to uh, execute him. And so he's kneeling down, Acts 7 and verse 60 When he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Talk about a dramatic attitude and change. When the stones are crushing against his head and his chest, when he had told them that they were hypocrites, that they had resisted the Holy Spirit, and now, even while they're executing him, he tells God, Lay not this sin to their charge. Would you be able to do that? Have you made that dramatic a spiritual change in your life that you are now mature enough that if you were being executed, you could ask God to forgive your executors? It's not in the Bible, but in Hegesippus' history, preserved by Eusebius, 
James, the brother of the Lord, was a major leader in Jerusalem. And he was told to recant. And they threw him off the temple. And he wasn't quite dead at the time, but he even then, according to the history of Hegesippus, because James, the Lord's brother, who had ridiculed Jesus, you know, in John 7, but after seeing him resurrected in Acts, the first chapter, being in the upper room with his brothers and with Mary, his mother, he'd seen the resurrected Christ. And he was converted, and he became the Apostle James and wrote the epistle of James. But it's reported that as they were beating him with a club, killing him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not only did Stephen forget his executioners, but apparently the Apostle James did the same thing. So we need to make dramatic changes in our lives. And many of us may be suffering. And we pray that God will relieve your pain even now. 1 Peter 4. And, of course, this whole chapter talks about suffering as there in verse 1. And then verse 13 of 1 Peter 4. And verse 15 and 16. But he ends here, verse 19, 1 Peter 4. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as unto a faithful creator. Do you trust God to create in you his perfect righteous character while you're suffering? Because he knows what you need. And James, of course, well, might hold your place there and and read that part of James where he talks about the trials, James, the first chapter, verse 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Are you complete? Are you whole? Are you spiritually mature? that you may perfect, may be made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we trust God to create in us his perfect character. And that may mean part of the process is learning patience as we suffer. But 1 Peter 4.19 gives a certain other element that perhaps you've overlooked. And, uh, and the NIV gives it this way. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. As it says in verse 19 in the New King James, in doing good. In other words, while you're suffering, you can't use that as excuse not to do good. If you can while you're suffering, you still continue to do good. That's part of the creative process. The NRSV says it this way, 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, let those suffering in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. And I know it's very difficult when you're suffering to continue to do good. Way back in uh, the 60s, uh, when we had the visiting program in Big Sandy, Texas, Uh, Mr. Leroy Neff was pastor of the Shreveport, Louisiana Church. We had two paraplegics 
in the Louisiana church. They came every Sabbath on a gurney. They could not move their legs or their, their arms, but they came to Sabbath services every Sabbath. They had a business of old books. In other words, if you wanted to find an old book, you could call them up on the telephone. Somehow they could answer and talk to you. I want to find this book uh, published in 1944 on um, the uh, Air Force, and they would find it for you. They still continued to do good even while they were suffering. God wants us to have that kind of character. While we suffer, we can look to healing. I have in my uh, car an audio CD uh, by Mr. Roger Bryant, just inspirational songs. In fact, my wife and I were just listening to it uh, on the way over here. It's an inspirational African-American spiritual, There is a Bomb in Gilead. Now, it's not B-O-M-B, it's B-A-L-M, balm, uh, which means a healing ointment. And it's just so inspiring. I'll just read the, uh, the first verse. Sometimes I feel discouraged, and I think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. And then the chorus. There is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Then the second uh, verse. If you can't preach like Peter... If you can't pray like Paul, just tell the love of Jesus and say he died for all. Then the chorus. There is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. So God can make the wounded whole. He can heal the sin-sick soul. And some of of you may be feeling that way. Of course, the balm referred to here is a healing ointment, a spiritual healing ointment through God's Holy Spirit. Remember, we read in James 1, let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. You can be complete if you are praying that God will pour out His Holy Spirit in your hearts and in your minds. Remember Romans 5.5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given to us. I ask the question, are you complete? Are you whole? Are you missing something in your life? It takes time to grow and to mature. It's an interesting uh, poem commentary here titled, I'm 80. Uh, Dr. Meredith would like to hear this because he's age 80. Today, dear Lord, I'm 80, and there's much I haven't done. I hope, dear Lord, you'll let me live until I'm 81. But then, if I haven't finished all I want to do, would you let me stay a while until I'm 82? So many places I want to see. Do you think that you could manage to make it 83? The world is changing very fast. There is so much in store. I'd like it very much to live until I'm 84. And if by then I'm still alive, I'd like to stay till 85. More planes will be up in the air, so I'd really like to stick and see what happens to the world when I'm 86. I know, dear Lord, it's much to ask, and it must be nice in heaven, but I would really like to stay 
until I'm 87. I know by then I won't be fast and sometimes will be late, but it would be so pleasant to be around at 88. I will have seen so many things and had a wonderful time, so I'm sure that I'll be willing to leave at 89, maybe. Though <laughs> so it does take time for us to grow in godly character. It takes a lifetime. And, of course, we need to redeem the time. We need to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. So let's turn to Ephesians 5 and verse 18. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And again, God looks for people around the world, John 4, 24, God is Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And God is searching for such people. He looks around the world and says, is there anyone here on planet Earth? that's going to worship me in spirit and in truth? In order to do that, we need to have God's Spirit. But how does that Spirit express itself? Verse 19, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And of course, some of you say, well, I can't sing, but you can, you can uh, memorize or recite Psalm 23 or Psalm 100. Uh, Mr. Jack Lowe just sent me uh, an email video of, uh, I don't know how old the little girl was, I think probably about three or four, uh, reciting Psalm 23. That's really cute. So even, uh, you know, three- and four-year-olds can quote Psalm 23. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart to the Lord. No, you express thanksgiving and appreciation and love towards your Father in heaven and your Savior Jesus Christ giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. We're going to grow in godly character again if we're filled with God's Holy Spirit. And we're praying for one another. Colossians 4 shows again that we need to be complete and how Epaphras was praying that the Colossians could be complete or they could be mature, or they could be perfect. Colossians 4. I think of someone like this who is dedicated to praying for everyone in the congregation. Epaphras, Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So is there something that is missing in each and every one of us? Of course, if we pray for one another, we can have that completeness. We can have that assurance. We can have more faith. And then Bible study is brought out here in 2 Timothy. Just a few pages over. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And what is the purpose that we study the Scriptures? 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God has called us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He wants us to develop 
godly character. So what is the final key then for character growth? Well, you've heard it time and time again, and that is to have your heart in God's work, to be praying for God's work. Remember, Jesus said in John 4:32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. His disciples thought that he didn't have physical food, but Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not know. And then he said in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So we do need to pray for more laborers in the harvest, for more open doors for the gospel, to cry out for God's healing, as Dr. Meredith exhorted us two weeks ago, to pray for the gifts of healing, to pray for the special presentations, and to pray that God will complete his perfect creation in us. Uh, Philippians 1. Philippians, the first chapter, and this again is one of those wonderful promises <clears throat> that God is not going to let go of you. Philippians, the first chapter. Starting with verse 3. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, I'm sure you have it underlined, or should have in your Bibles, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I ask the question, are you complete? Are you whole? Are you missing something in your life? We've briefly discussed four areas of development, dimensions that can help you to be complete, whole, and effective. Number one was to develop your mind. Number two is to develop your personality. Number three is to redeem the time. Number four is to develop your character. Now, God has called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We need to radiate the fruits of God's Spirit and reflect the complete, mature character of Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. When someone sees you, does he or she see God's nature in you? 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. The NIV gives a, a clearer a description of it, but let's read it in the King, New King James, Second Corinthians 3, verse 18. Uh, here he's talking about Moses coming down from the mountain with a veil over his face. But he, and those who are reading Moses had a veil over their hearts. But now he says in verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed into the very nature and character and mind of Christ. The NIV says it this way, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, mirror all, I'm sorry, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Let's turn finally to one scripture, uh, Colossians 2, which I mentioned was the key of the sermon. Colossians, the second chapter. So if you've been feeling incomplete, if you feel something is missing in your life, rejoice in your relationship with Christ. Colossians 2 and verse 10. And you are complete in Him, that is in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. So brethren, let's strive to be balanced, be effective, to be whole, and to be complete in Christ.